the American people will soon find out if the United States is going to war. Fires are raging across Brazil's Amazon rainforest. At the stroke of midnight, the U.S. hit China with tariffs on $34 billion worth of goods. Hurricane Dorian made landfall with wind speeds of 185 miles per hour. Multiple drones bombed Saudi Arabia's largest oil facilities today. 60,000 people have fled their homes in northeastern Syria. It's like these 500-year floods or 100-year floods. They're happening every other year. Anti-government protesters in Hong Kong have taken to the streets. The magnitude 7.1 quake was felt from Los Angeles all the way to Nevada. It is one of the worst escalations of violence on the Israel-Gaza border in years. The world seems so unstable, so insecure. Everything is changing way too fast. But there are some things that are steadfast, things that never change. God and His Word. Randy Reams is pastor of Kindred Bible Church in Nampa, Idaho. Join Pastor Randy now as he shares truths from God's unchanging Word. Again, you heard me tell the kids, because John does not include the story of Christ, we call it Christ's temptation, uh, I wanted to make sure that, and I'm going to do this throughout John, John, there's a lot of things John doesn't tell about because of what John's trying to do. John focuses on, on seven particular, I'll say, miracles or events in Christ's life to show that he is the Son of God who takes away this, our sins. But I didn't want to bypass the temptation of Christ. And I'm going to be straight with you. I had a whole other sermon written until 4 o'clock this morning. I'm going to be correct. And so, so I, 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 the Lord impressed upon my heart to do this. So if it's not as structured as normally I am, you'll have to for, forgive me, but I think you'll get the message as we move. So today we are in Matthew chapter 4, okay, starting right in verse 1. Please stand if you're able. Some days I'm not able, so I understand. Matthew chapter 4 starting in verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That's an understatement, isn't it? And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to the holy city and set upon the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. On your hands, on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him up to a high mountain and showed him the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. You may be seated. 
Now, I find it intriguing. And Mark, when Mark tells this story, he uses the word immediately. When Jesus is baptized, comes up out of the water, Okay? We hear the voice from heaven, the angel descend like a dove immediately. Now Mark does that a lot because Mark is the briefest gospel and he's wanting to get right to the point. He uses immediately quite often in Mark. So, so in John you don't see this. You, you see the baptism and then you see Jesus doing these other things. So that space in between there we don't see. So that's why I'm here. But the important part is this. John, if you remember in John, I'm the witness. I'm telling you, I saw it with my own eyes and heard it with my own ears. The voice from heaven come, say, this is my son in whom I please, and the spirit descending like a dove. Upon that one, remember that John's the bare witness of that. Then immediately Jesus goes off to the wilderness to be tempted 40 days and 40 nights. So, so I need you to let you know, but we use the word tempted. Everywhere else in Matthew, that word's translated test so particularly when pharisees we talked about those guys last week and to test him ask him a question when the the expert in the law comes to test him a question try to trap him so at this point jesus is being led into the wilderness to be tested like abraham was in what way okay now we all know that in the hypostatic union, that is, two natures, the nature of the divine, the nature of human, and the one person, Jesus Christ. God himself cannot be tempted. The temptation here is the, the man, Jesus. Now, just like God knew ahead of time, Abraham would pass the test. He knew Jesus would as well. But the point of Abraham's test was for Abraham's benefit, to know he could trust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I could trust him. Jesus in his flesh struggles with thoughts like you and I do. Really? Uh, uh, if there's any other way, God, uh, I don't like this idea. What doesn't? His flesh doesn't. All right? So he's, his flesh is going to be tested. His flesh. The man Jesus. The man Jesus died on the cross. God cannot die. He didn't die on the cross. But because of the hypostatic union, being both God, truly God, and truly man, that sacrifice is infinite in nature because of God is infinite. So he said, 40 days and 40 nights. Now, I don't think, I don't need to go in a whole bunch of scriptures, the significance of 40 days and 40 nights in scripture. You know, you have the rain from Noah, this kind of thing. But I think the ones that really stand out is that's how long Moses was on Mount Sinai when he received the law. That's how long Elijah was in the wilderness. So they're both guys in these places alone. And throughout Scripture, the number 40 has much significance, but immediately any, any Jewish person reading this would go, hey, that's important, 40 days. That, I mean, that's like Moses up getting the law. When he comes back down from getting the law, what happened? Yeah, the people, the people were tested, and they failed the test. And so that's where he throws down the tablets, and they break, and he has to go back, and they got to get written again. I mean, come on, you've all seen the movie, right? All right. Then it says, the tempter came and said to him, I need you to understand, we, call, we always think it's always Satan tempting us, but there was only one other time in all of Scripture Satan's ever called the tempter, here and in Thessalonians. Now, we're all sitting here, maybe you could smell the stuff in the other room. Satan does not have to come along and tempt you with hunger. Jesus was hungry. 
It makes that clear. After 40 days and 40 nights, the boy was hungry. I would suggest you often, for us anyway, we, we tend to think there's a little, you know, like the cartoon, I think particularly maybe Bugs Bunny, Warner Brothers, you know, and there's the little devil on this side and the little angel on this side trying to convince. We tend to do that. To be honest, you know, we can read um, Peter, I think it is, when, it, when he says that birth or sin is birthed by when our own desires, we're tempted by our own desires, okay, conceived and gives birth to sin, which leads to death. Okay, so, so often, I'll be careful that don't, just because you see Satan tempting Jesus, if you were the son of God, maybe he'd come and tempt you directly. Plus, you, we almost know at this point, Satan is like Jesus the man here, is in a location. Satan is not omnipresent. Okay, and I'm going to be honest, he's probably tempting Putin right now of Russia with the whole Ukraine thing, or somebody important. That's probably where he's at. Okay, then probably worrying about you. Probably. Now, I'm not saying he's not real and Satan isn't active in your life. I didn't say that. But, but, but I want you to understand, too often we want to blame the devil. Well, the serpent came along and, well, the woman you gave me and, okay. Well, it was Eve that saw that it was good for food. You never see Satan ever say to Eve, hey, um, how's that food look? Does, does, that, does that fruit look good to you? No, he comes with this. Did God say? That is Satan when that comes. That is demonic when that comes. Satan here in this first tempting or testing does not quote Scripture. It's simply an appeal to Christ, to Jesus' flesh. Jesus was hungry. Well... Food, okay? But he tempts him particularly in the area. He doesn't do like Eve. Did God say you were his son? No, no, no. If you are the son. If God is right in what he says. If God said that, if you're really that, why don't you, you use that godness, I'll say it like that, okay, not necessarily theologically the best way to say it, to handle this physical hunger. A physical desire. You've got to realize, he's in the wilderness around, if you come up out of the Jordan, it's pretty wildernessy. But rocks are everywhere. Turn these stones into bread. There's a heaps a lot of stones. So the temptation, if I could say it like this, was everywhere. He's hungry. Satan says, you could, you know, you could turn these, you know, I'm not, I'm not the bride. I can't want to put thoughts into Jesus' head, but he's probably going, yeah, you're right, I could. And there's a lot of them. Now I'm going to take a bunny trail. There's one place we shouldn't have to deal with temptation everywhere. And that's in here. When we come together to worship, when we come together to focus on God, it's one place there shouldn't be rocks everywhere. You go, where are you going with this, Pastor? All right. Tim and, when Tim and I travel, it's, it's really evident then. But in the winter, it's not as evident. But as a man, you understand this. When you go out into the world... Temptation is everywhere. 360 degrees around. Are those, I don't know what they're called, legging things the ladies wear that don't hide anything. I'm going to tell you, when a man comes to the house of God, it isn't a place you should have to watch his eyes. 
we shouldn't have to come to church and battle with our flesh. Well, you guys just need to clean up your minds. Okay, ladies, let me, let me say this this way. How many of you, don't raise your hand, ladies ever been on a diet? My wife and I had talked about back in the day when she got smart enough now not to worry about that, but dieting. And she's, but it's so hard because you're not dieting, you're skinny and you have cake and cookies in the house. And I should have just said to her, well, why don't you just control your own thoughts? No, she knew I played a role in her diet. I could bring temptation into that struggle. Men should not have to be tempted in church. But we shouldn't face that. When I, when I watch certain worship teams, how in the world do the men in the audience look at the worship team? For one, they've already, it's a putting on a show to start with. How many of you remember Sandy Patty? Vestal Goodman. Do you remember who Vestal Goodman was? She, you see, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Hills of Home. Anyway, she sang with the Gaithers, but well before that. You know what? I bet you they wouldn't be gospel recording artists today because they don't look good in a tight shirt and a short skirt. Why is it that when we bring women Christian singers or worship people, they have to be all pretty and dress, well, I'll call it fashionable. I'll call it like that. Likewise, church shouldn't be a place where you come and there's stones everywhere. Gossip. I shouldn't have to deal with that in church. Oh, do, 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 I, you know, I just want you to pray, but did you know? You know, that there shouldn't be a place where I have to come and be tempted with... Oh, and then during worship, your mind's off on this person and this situation that somebody's talked to you about, all right? In church, particularly, it's not a place where we should have to face temptation, okay? And I could go on various other examples of that, all right? But it was just one of those bunny trails. I began to ask, man, man, Jesus, how are you dealing with it? He's telling you the rocks, and the rocks are everywhere, and immediately I thought of the male temptation today that's everywhere. We, Kim and I, we've been watching these home fixer-upper shows. We can't watch them anymore. You know why? The ads. The show itself is okay. I mean, they're just remodeling a house, okay? But you can't, it's everywhere. Okay? Football games on. I know, I know you guys know when I watch football, but I watch football here and there. Okay? I don't need to see the cheerleaders. They're not really cheerleading anyway. Okay, It's everywhere. Gossip is everywhere. Watch our news today. Our news isn't news. It's gossip. So don't, don't be the instrument of temptation. I'm not saying you're Satan. Please don't think that. Okay, uh, in, the, in the church. Because when I, I did this, I said, God, how am I tempted? In what ways am I tempted in my flesh? Okay, and right now it might be hungry for a loaf of bread, but in what ways am I tempted? Every man in this room, if he doesn't agree, one thing he's tempted with is lying. Okay, is his eyes. And ladies, we can go down a list of things that bothers you too. <laughs> All right, but anyway, he that temptation's everywhere. And then Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy 8.5, and this is important. Jesus quotes Scripture three times, twice from Deuteronomy 6, once from Deuteronomy 8. So at the end of the message, we want to put those in context. Where is Jesus quoting from? 
What's the situation there? Okay, man should not live by bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God. I find that intriguing that that's the first one he comes by. When Satan is tempting him not to believe God's word. This is my beloved son, if you're his son. And of course, God in his sovereignty knew before Satan was ever created that this was going to take place this way. So I know Satan thought it was his idea when the first thing he wanted to teach Jesus was, was bread. Okay? But Satan uses the physical environment to try to get Jesus to question the trustworthiness of God's word. Same thing happened to Eve. He used a physical to get you to mistrust God's word. Okay? When we get to verse 5, he says it takes him up into the holy city to the pinnacle of the temple. And I, I don't believe, okay, I, I believe that Jesus wasn't physically teleported to the temple. As much as Ezekiel had a vision of the temple, but he wasn't teleported there. Um, I, this is my view. And the particular part of that pinnacle of the temple really means little wing. There's no little wing on the, the temple that we know of. So everybody argues over where this is at. I says, you're missing it. You're, you're missing this point. Okay? It's a high place. Then throw yourself off of it. Throw yourself off of here. Because now, now Satan quotes scripture. Okay? He actually quotes Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. And, and says, you know, if you throw yourself off here, God's promised to protect you and have his angels take care of you. He's, this is what he's saying. <clears throat> Since you're God's son, that obligates God to act a certain way. Test God's word by creating a situation that obligates God to act on his promise. Let me put it another way. If you'll sow your seed today, God has to. Oh, no, he don't. Okay? Let me read to you, um, it, it's from a video of a person's sermon, and, and if you want to know who it is, you can ask Joel, I mean, ask me. If you're not looking for God's goodness, if you don't develop this attitude that today is my day, then even though God is longing to be good to you, He will back off. And put his blessings on hold. Faith causes God to act. Your expectancy, believing that things are changing, saying, Lord, send your favor now, send healing, send restoration now, that's not just being positive, that's your faith being released. That's what causes the creator of the universe to go to work for your life. You cause the creator of the universe to do something. That's what Satan's trying to get Jesus to do here. You do this, then God will have to do that. Nothing obligates God to act. Nothing outside of himself causes 
God to act. The punishment of sinners. Well, see, your sin caused God to judge you. No, God's justice is what brought about your punishment as a sinner. God's acts, the things he does, the source of those is himself, his own very nature and character. All right? I think that's huge. I think we can get really caught in this and want you to think about that when it comes to prayer. We, for some reason, think prayer obligates God to do something. No, what it obligates you is to you to pray the will of God. When you pray, pray like this. Our Father which art in hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth, you've got to be praying the right thing to start with. Prayer does, transforms you, aligns you with, the God, with God's will, if you're really praying. Like, see, like there's no human act. That includes some religious rite, some religious act, a baptism, water baptism, communion. See, the Catholic Church believes when you do these things, God has to. No, he don't. That's why plenty of people have taken, been baptized and plenty of people have, have done communion and they weren't real believers to begin with. How about this one? Does repentance cause God to act? No, because God's the one who grants the repentance. Well, if I repent, God, the Bible says him that he has to because I repented. The only reason you repent and believe is because God granted you that. He gave you that belief. Amen. Fasting and prayer doesn't cause God, cause God to act. Fasting and prayer is about changing you. Does obedience cause God to act? No. Is God moving right now in the world? Amen. Yes. Obedience just gets you in the stream of what he's doing. He doesn't start acting because you decide to obey the word of God. He is acting, moving human history, all things towards his end. And when you obedient, you jump in the river, the flow, I'll say it this way, of where he's going. He doesn't start flowing, if I use that analogy, when you start obeying. God's going to do what he's going to do even without you, if I'll say it like that. I would suggest being God knowing all things. You're in the plan too, but okay. So the cause of God's action is his character, his nature, his sovereign will, and his eternal decree. All those still come. His eternal decree comes from who he is. And this is where Jesus responds back. He says, look, well, let's put God in a place where he has to do this. And, of course, Jesus responds back out of Deuteronomy 6 and 16, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Anybody know the context of that from Deuteronomy? We'll talk about that. Okay? To me, when you say that your faith, your obedience, your whatever, causes, obligates God to act, that's arrogance. It's pride. When I read that thing saying, that's what causes the creator of the universe. Wow, I can control the creator of the universe. That's pride and arrogance. And God resists the proud. So you can say all you want that your faith is causing God to do something. He's going to bless you. No, no, no. When you come with that attitude, God will resist you on it. And that's out of James 4. Then again, the devil took him up to a high mountain. Again, I was that literal God... Satan teleporting him around? I don't think so. Okay. 
He's showing him that in the spiritual sense, showed him the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, I will give you all these if you fall down and worship me. Here again, Satan quotes no scripture. He didn't in the first one. He didn't in this one. He doesn't quote scripture here. He quotes, first time he tempts Jesus' flesh with hunger. Second time he tempts Jesus or tests Jesus to put God to the test. This here, he doesn't beat around a bush. It's not subtle at all. Here's what I want. Here's what I want. I want you to bow down and worship me. That's what really what all this is about, is so you worship me. Okay? And he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And I'm thinking Jesus is going, um, you, 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 you don't know what glory is. You don't know the glory I left. He, you don't even know the glory I'm coming into. Matter of fact, in John 17 and 5, he says, with Give me back the glory that you had from the beginning for me. He, he's, the glory of these kingdoms that you're supposedly tempting me with? <laughs> that ain't nothing. Neither is the kingdom, by the way, that you're tempting him with. And that's where Jesus says, be gone, Satan. Can you think of another time in Scripture where Jesus says something like that? Yeah, when Peter speaks against his destiny, the cross. No, 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 I'm not going to let you go die. <laughs> Get behind me, Satan. Okay? You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve out of Deuteronomy 6 and 13. I find it intriguing that this temptation to get Jesus to doubt that he was the son continued until Jesus' last breath. There was a crowd watching Jesus on the cross. Oh, he said he was going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down off the cross. Satan's still trying. He's still trying to get Jesus to doubt what God had said. At the moment, when all history's changing, B.C. to A.D., in front of him, he thinks he's winning. He doesn't know the end. And he's still wanting Jesus to doubt and uses a crowd to do it to doubt what God had said. Well, you know, you can have these angels save you over here in the previous temptation. Yeah, and we know in Matthew 26, he could have called legions of angels. Yeah, he knew that already. I do find it interesting at the end of this, what happens is the angels come ministering to him. So um, they, were, they were already ready. They didn't need to have to, I didn't have to jump off a temple. for the, They're here. God's got them ready for me already to minister to me where it really needs. This is Pastor Randy Reams, and I want to thank you for joining us today for Truths from God's Unchanging Word. This broadcast is a ministry outreach of Kindred Bible Church in Nampa, Idaho. And if you'd like to hear this message in its entirety or other messages, just visit kindredbible.org forward slash media. And there you can also subscribe to the podcast. If you're being ministered to by this broadcast, I'd like to ask you to consider financially supporting this ministry. Giving is easy. Just go to kindredbible.org forward slash give. There you can make a one-time gift or you can choose to become a monthly supporter. But if you prefer, you can send your gift to KBC PO Box 32, Nampa, Idaho 83653. 
Your prayers, words of encouragement, and financial support helps ensure that this broadcast will continue to be heard in your region and around the world. Again, I'd like to thank you for listening to Truths from God's Unchanging Word.